everyone. Welcome to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. My name is Brian, and I pastor Mount Hope in Belmont, Massachusetts. It's good to talk to you today. Have you ever been in a place where you have a goal, you know what you want to get done, you know where you want to be, you're just not sure how to get from where you are to where it is you're trying to go? I think this happens to many of us in our spiritual life. We know where we are in our understanding of God. We know where we'd like to go in our relationship with Him. We're just not sure how to get there. We talk about that today. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something He would like to say to you. Just one more note before we get started. In this talk, I mention a book that's been very helpful to me. In the talk, I say the book is entitled Made to Lead. In reality, the book is entitled Designed to Lead. It's by Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck, and the book is excellent. So just didn't want any confusion there. Hope you enjoy. I have a question for you as we begin. Have you ever found yourself in a situation, think about this with me, have you ever found yourself in a situation where a decision was made for you to do something, and you knew what you were supposed to do, you knew where you were supposed to be at the end, uh, but you were left with no resources or little idea of how you were going to get from where you were to where you knew you were supposed to go. Have you ever been in that sort of situation? Maybe you set a goal in your life. It's a work goal. It's a financial goal. Uh, it's, it's a family goal. And you know where you are. You know where you want to be. The problem isn't that you're not clear on where you are and where you want to be. The problem is you don't feel like you have the resources or the ability to get from where you are to where it is that you want to go. Have you ever been there? When your boss just walks in and gives you an assignment and you say, I don't know how to do this, and they just look at you and say, well, just get it done, and they leave. Have you ever been there? When you're not sure how you're going to get from where you are to where it is you want to be. I remember this happened to me when I was in eighth grade, something similar like this. Maybe you've been in a situation like this. In my school, in middle school, uh, in seventh grade, we all took a little uh, test. Seventh grade was the start of middle school where I grew up. And we all took a little test coming into middle school. And there was probably about 800, 900 uh, seventh graders in my school. Some of you know I grew up in Nebraska. You think that's impossible. You think it was the entire state in seventh grade at the same time. But no, there were enough people that we had 700 seventh graders in my school. So we all came in uh, that year and we took a little test. And they broke us up in different subjects based on how we scored on the test. And so in subjects like literature and English, you were in different groups depending on how you did in the entrance exam. Well, I did fine in most areas, but the one area that I knew I wasn't going to do well in, and uh, any of my teachers could have told you I wasn't going to do well in coming in, was in math. Math was just never my thing. It still isn't. Uh, it's why I had to marry an accountant, is so someone could <laughs> help me. And... I took the entrance exam, and, and there were three levels of, of math. There was the super smart level. That was a small group of people. And there was average all the other uh, kids' math, and that was most of the grade. And then there was, you know, the math I was in, which was, I don't really know, I don't remember what name it was. The students had some names for it. But that was the math group that, that I was a part of. And I went into that level of math, and, and I actually did pretty well in seventh grade 
at that level. And so the teachers got together at the end and they said, okay, uh, when you come back next year to eighth grade, you're not going to be in this math anymore. We're going to move you into average math. You're going to be with the rest of the, of, of the average kids. And I thought that sounded great. And so I came into math class my eighth grade year. And uh, the, one of the first things we did that eighth grade year, I remember this, my teacher was named Mrs. Bose, like the speaker, I remember, and, and she gave us a test in eighth grade, and it was to cover everything that was taught uh, in seventh grade. It was a review test. The problem I had coming in is it was a review of a class that I had never taken, because I had been in this level math, and everyone else had been in this level math, and then the first thing we got in eighth grade year was a review test. Now, I knew where I was in my math skills. I'm very honest with that. I understand what my abilities are in mathematics. And I knew where I wanted to be. I wanted to step up and I wanted to be at this level. But there was this problem. I didn't have the skills and ability to do what it is I wanted to do. And I remember getting that test, that exam was given to me, and I looked down at it. And there was this symbol that I had never seen before. And everyone else knew what the symbol was. Clearly, everyone else around me had no trouble uh, with this symbol. And I, I, I had one of those, those, it was the test when they used to make them on those ditto machines. Do you remember? When they would crank out the papers and there was that purple ink and there would be splotches everywhere. And I thought, maybe it's just a, a splotch that this symbol, maybe it's just an accident, this symbol. But I looked down the test and it was there over and over and over again. And I had never seen this symbol before in my life. Everyone else knew exactly what it was. And so I remember what my solution was to this problem. My solution was to do every single problem as if this, as if this symbol didn't exist. Because I had no idea what it was. So if the symbol, if the problem was pi 9 plus 5, my answer was 14. Because I had no idea what this was. And this was my problem. And you've been there too in your life, right? You've been in situations where you're starting in a place, a decision has been made, you're going to be in this class in my case, a decision is made, and you know where you want to get, you know where you want to be. The problem is you're not sure exactly how you're going to get there. And I remember the result of that review test was a few meetings with the teachers, and we came up with a plan, how we were going to get me from where I was to where it is that I needed to be. You know, there's a place in uh, the life of the church and life of individual followers of Jesus where we experience something very similar. That is, we make a decision to do something and we know where it is we want to go, but for many of us, we're not sure how we're supposed to get there. And even what compounds the problem is many times the answer that we get when we walk into the church, is a solution that doesn't necessarily help us get where we want to go. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this series that we're calling Fully Equipped, and this is our last week in this series. We've been in this series we've called Fully Equipped, All You Need to Do Your Best Work This Year. And we've been talking about those things that from as pastors of the church that we think uh, would be the best things that you could do and we could do in order to make this a great year. So that if we were to sit back here in January of 2019 and say, have we grown together closer to God? We would be able to say yes. 
And we talked the first week about forming opinions about the Bible by reading it yourself and not just letting other people read it and tell you what you should think. We talked about uh, the importance of prayer and engaging in prayer this year. Last week, we talked about the importance of being generous people in the way that we live. And this week, we're going to talk about this process. That if you and I want to come back here next year and say, okay, this is actually a year where we grew in our understanding of who God is, and together we grew as, as the church closer to him, there is a process that we need to engage in. The challenge is, many times in church world, when we come and ask what the process is, what we're given, the answer we're given, is not actually the process that is helpful to us. See, the Bible is bookended by a promise and a picture of what that promise is going to look like. The Bible is, is at the beginning, there's a promise that's given. And at the end of the book, if you were to flip all the way to the back, there's a picture of what it looks like when that promise is fulfilled. The promise that's given at the beginning is to a man named Abraham, actually Abram at the time, and his story comes very early on in the book. If you were to open up the book of Genesis and you were to flip through, you'd see some familiar stories. Probably even if you're not someone that comes to church very often, you'd see uh, Adam and Eve and you're kind of familiar with that story. And then you'd see Noah and you'd know about Noah and the ark. And then right after that, almost in chapter 12, there is the story of this man named Abram and God comes to him and he says to him this. He says, I will bless those who bless you, Abram. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And listen to what he says to him. This is the promise. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right at the beginning of the book, God gives a promise to this man named Abram. And he says to him, one day, through your line and through your people, what would become the Israelites and then expand beyond that, all people in the world will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. And at the end of the book, if you were to flip all the way from Genesis 12 to the back of the book in Revelation, you would see a picture of what the author tells us heaven is going to look like. And in that picture, we get the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. So all nations will be blessed. And then we get this picture at the end of the book. And they sang a new song, he writes, John writes, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I know that can be a little confusing, but what you have is this picture of people worshiping God and worshiping Jesus, and they're saying, You have saved people from every tribe in every nation, in every language. And what you have in that moment is the fulfillment of what was promised so long ago that all nations would be blessed and we get this picture of that happening. Now here's the question. What is the process? What is the process that helps people go from this promise of all nations worshiping God, to the picture of all nations worshiping God. What is the process that should be in place? And let me make it a little bit more personal. I bet there are plenty of us in the room this morning that we would say, listen, I would love to experience God's blessing. 
I would like to follow God with my life. If God is real, I want to know more about who he is. I would like to know him more. If it's true that you can have a relationship with God, then I'm for it. I would like to do that. The problem that we have is we're not sure how to get from that idea, that decision point, to the picture of what we think it looks like to be in God's presence or to have a relationship with him. We're not sure to get how to get from where we are to where it is we want to be with him. How do we do that? How do we help people around us who need to know about Jesus understand who he is and help them get to the place where they're following him with their lives? Or, let's say you're in the room this morning and you say, I wouldn't count myself a follower of Jesus, but I'm open to the idea. What would we say to that person? What should you do in order to progress in that and understand more. I think what our default is, we would say, well, here's the process. The process is we just get people together in, in, in rooms and, and we get people together in gatherings, uh, call them church, call them crusades, call them whatever you want them to do, call them revival meetings, and we should just get people to make decisions to follow Jesus. That's how the church often operates. If we want to get people from not following Jesus to following Jesus, we should get them together and we'll just call them to a decision. We'll say, you should make this decision to follow Jesus. And then they'll sign the card or they'll come forward or they'll throw their stick in the fire or whatever it is that day. And they'll make a decision to follow Jesus with their life. And that's a great decision to make for that decision. The problem is what we often do is we say to people, great, you've made the decision. Great, you said you want to follow Jesus. Great, you're interested in learning more. I'll see you later. That is our normal reaction in the church. That's our process. That we would say to you, uh, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And someone would say back to us, okay, I want to make that decision to know him more. And we would say, great, I'm so glad you made that decision. I'll talk to you later. I'll see you in heaven. I want to suggest to you this morning that that process is not what God calls us to. And in fact, some of you here this morning probably feel like you're on the other end of that process where you said, okay, I do want to learn more. And then someone said, well, just go to church. And you walked into church and you walked into a world that you didn't understand. You walked into church and it was kind of like when I was looking at that test with the pie symbol and had no idea what it meant. Everyone kind of seems to know what to do in church. They all had assigned seats. You weren't aware of that. Uh, but everyone just knew where to sit. And then they all knew the songs. Uh, and, and everyone kind of knew what was going on. And you're sitting down there looking at it just like I did when I looked at that pie symbol. You're not sure how to get from where you are to where it is that you're interested in being. And the church would look back at you and say, well, just make a decision. And you would say, well, I'm trying to make that decision. But I'm not even sure how to get there. You know, even in this room, we have people on both sides of that coin. There are people sitting in the room this morning that you are interested in learning more. You're interested in understanding more. You're not sure how to get there. There are those of us in the room that are further down that road. And we're not sure how to help those who would want to understand more. The only process we have at our disposal is this decision process where we say, just pray this prayer, just sign this card, just come forward. 
But that process, while it's good and useful, does not necessarily help people go from where they are to where it is they want to be and where God desires them to be. Jesus, in Luke chapter 5, calls his disciples. And he says to them, he calls to them and asks them to follow him. And if you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says this. It said, when they had brought their boats to land, they left and they followed him. This is the decision point. For the disciples, this is the decision point. They had brought their boats to land and they left and they followed him. These are specifically the disciples that Jesus called that were fishermen. Some were other professions, but a few were fishermen. And Jesus called them and said, follow me. Now, Jesus was living in a culture where he was a teacher, a Jewish rabbi, and it would be very normal for a Jewish rabbi to come and invite people to come and follow him and be his disciples. It was a normal, it was not unique to Jesus in the time. And so he comes and he says to these men, come and follow me. And the disciples make a decision. They have this decision point whether to follow or not to follow. And they make a decision and they follow Jesus. Here's what we don't see. We do not see Jesus look back at his disciples and say, great, I'll see you in heaven and walk off. We don't see Jesus go back into his house that night, pull out his journal and say, good, got 12 more people to make a decision. Tomorrow I'll try to get 12 more. You see, the decision to follow was the decision to enter into a process that the, Jesus then walks his disciples through. And I want to suggest to you this morning that by and large, the church, big capital C, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus around the nation, around the world, we skip over what is a fundamental process to helping people truly follow Jesus. Decision is step one, but it's not the end goal and it's not the final product. What we see Jesus do with his disciples after they make a decision to follow him is we see him do three things after that. Three things that if you're sitting in the room this morning and you are someone who follows Jesus, these are three things that if Jesus was talking to you this morning, I believe he would tell you to go and do for somebody else. And these are three things that if you're sitting in the room and you're saying to yourself, I don't really know that much about this, but I would like to move, learn more. These are three things that I would encourage you to do. I want to mention uh, that these three things, a book that's been really helpful for me over the last few months as I've thought about this and, and, and thought through it and through these three steps is a book called, um, a book by Eric Geiger, and it was called Made to Lead. It's called Made to Lead. And in that book, he talks about these three steps, and they've been really helpful to me as I think about what is our job as people who follow Jesus, if we want to help other people follow Jesus, and what would I tell other people who want to know more to do? This is what Jesus does. He doesn't just call his disciples to a decision. He also then delivers knowledge to them. 
He doesn't just call them to a decision. He then also delivers knowledge. If you were to flip through the pages of your Bible from Luke chapter 5 until Luke chapter 9, you would see in those stories that Jesus has his disciples walking with him. And as he goes and does his work, he's teaching and the disciples are listening. He tells a parable to the crowd and then he looks at his disciples and he says, listen, let me tell you what that means. There are times all throughout these chapters and through, the, and through the stories of Jesus where Jesus ignores the giant crowd to turn and speak directly to these men who have chosen to follow him. He is imparting knowledge to them of who he is and what it means to follow him. And he's not doing it in one class. He's not doing it uh, in one moment. He's doing it as they live life over the course of three years. The disciples are walking with him and he's doing his work. He's healing and he's teaching and he's fighting with the religious people and he's turning over tables in the temple and the disciples are wide-eyed and then he comes back and says, let me tell you why I did that. And the whole time Jesus is imparting knowledge, not in one moment, not in one class, not in one book, but as they go over time. And then in chapter 9, Jesus does something with his disciples that is so key. He takes them, and now that he's delivered knowledge to them, he takes his disciples, and he then offers them experience. He then provides experience. Look at Luke chapter 9, right at the beginning. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospels and healing everywhere. See, Jesus does something pretty incredible here. Not only does he take his disciples after they've made a decision and impart knowledge to them, but then he brings them and he says, okay, now you go do it. Now you go do it. Jesus provides them experience. Now you go do it. This is what we've been doing over the last few weeks here in this sermon series, right? We've said to you on the first week, the Bible is an important book. Many of us gain an opinion on it, positive or negative, without reading it. If we're going to form an opinion on the book, we should read it for ourselves. And then at the end of the service, we say, now go do it. Now go do it. Prayer is important. Prayer is how you connect with God. Prayer is how God shapes you and molds you and changes you and and how you hear from him. Now go do it. Now go do it. God calls us to be generous people, we said last week. Then we said, now go do it. Jesus provides experience to his disciples so they might learn and grow over time. You and I know this is true. You and I know the only way to get better at certain things, the only way to grow at certain things is to go and do them ourselves. It's so difficult, isn't it, to sit in a classroom and learn everything you're supposed to learn? The way you really learn is you go and you do it. 
There's a reason why when you major in education, you take a portion of your schooling and you go and you student teach. My guess is you learn more in that semester than you did in the other three and a half combined. Because doing the work teaches you far more than just hearing about the work. And so Jesus takes his disciples and he gives them all of this knowledge and then he provides the experience, but then he does another thing that we often overlook. And that is he brings them all back and he offers them coaching. Look at what happens in chapter nine, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him, that's Jesus, all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Jesus sends his apostles out. And if you were to flip over to chapter 10, Jesus does the same thing with 72 other people who are following him. He sends these 72 people out and then they come back and Jesus debriefs with them. And he says, okay, tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And the, although it's not written here, I can imagine they go back and forth. Tell me what you did. Tell me what happened in this town, in this town. And Jesus offers them coaching, walking through the experience with them, walking through how they used the knowledge that he had given them. And it's even more explicitly mentioned when the 72 come back in the next chapter. Tell me what you did. And then Jesus speaks back to them. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then if you're like I am, you believe that other people need to know this message. That it would be valuable for people it would be worthwhile for people to choose to follow Jesus as well. The question is, how do we do this? How do we help, make, help other people follow Jesus? How do we go and how do we make disciples? A disciple is someone who does far more than just makes a decision to follow. A disciple is someone who understands the message and then preaches it. You see, companies know this. Companies love making disciples because disciples take their message and they spread it to others. This is why I think many companies have their rewards program. Every company has a rewards program, a loyalty program. You can learn, earn points on pretty much everything. Because companies would much rather have someone not be a one-time customer who decides to shop there, but someone who becomes their disciple, who over time grows in their knowledge and experience of the company, and then goes out and tells other people how great it is. In fact, companies will reward you for going out and telling how great their company is to other people. You and I have met people like this. There are people, there are disciples of Apple. There are disciples of Microsoft. There are disciples of all these different companies. People who love it so much that they will then preach that gospel to you. There's this big question of what is the process to get from this promise of the nations worshiping God to the picture of it actually happening in the end. What is the process of that? We say, well, let's just get together in large groups and have people make decisions. That's okay. But what Jesus models for you and for me 
is that those of us who know him and follow him would walk with somebody else over time. The gospel was always designed to be passed on person to person over time, not moment and moment and decision and decision. And if we are going to do as the church what God calls us to do, then we have to be willing to walk with people, imparting knowledge, providing experience, offering coaching, so when the person comes back to us and says, says, listen, I thought if I followed Jesus, life would go perfect. I followed him and life is still difficult. We sit down and talk it through. I went and read the Bible like you told me to. It doesn't make any sense. We sit down and talk it through. I prayed the prayer you told me to pray. God hasn't done anything. We sit down and talk it through. That's how it's always been designed to be passed on from the very beginning. Jesus models that for us. Not just finding these 12 guys, telling them to follow him. They follow him and he goes off and finds 12 more. He takes those 12 and he walks with them over time. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you're wondering, well, how am I going to get from where I am to where I would like to be? I would love to be someone who knows God more, who follows him more, but how in the world am I going to get from where I am to where I want to be? I would ask you, where and how are you gaining knowledge? Where and how are you gaining experience? And who have you asked to help coach you along the way? It's the only way to do it. There's no magic prayer I can tell you to pray. Uh, There's no instant thing that we can do. Understanding who God is and learning to follow him is a process that happens over time. I hear Jay and Jackie come up here this morning and talk about someone that they met in 2008. And over time, all that has happened. It's not a decision that happens once and you say, great, see you later. We walk with people. That's how it's designed to be. And it's not designed that one person at the front of the room would tell everybody else what they need to know. It's designed that all of us who follow him, who call ourselves disciples, would walk with other people that are around us. Your neighbor that needs to know, your friend that needs to know, your family member that needs to know, your coworker that needs to know. It is your job, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, to impart knowledge, provide experience, and offer coaching, and walk with them over time. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And I'd invite you, if you would, just to take a moment. Bow your head and close your eyes and think about this. You know, maybe you're in the room this morning. And you're saying to me, listen, uh, this is a great idea, but there's no possible way I could do this for somebody else because I don't even know how to get there myself. I would encourage you, if you're sitting here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, today's a great day to make that decision. If you're someone that's sitting here and you're saying to me, listen, I, I would like to know more. I have no idea how to get there. Let me ask you right now. Who's the person that you know 
inside this room or outside this room that you can ask to walk with you along the way? How can you gain more knowledge? How can you gain more experience? Who is it that can walk with you and coach you along the way? It's funny to me, many of us think this way about our careers. We figure out with our careers how we can gain knowledge, how we can gain experience, people who can coach us along the way. We find a mentor in the office or the company. Uh, we, we go and we pay a life coach to tell us what to do. But how many of us are thinking about our relationship with Jesus Christ this way? This is what he models for us. We'd be thinking, how am I going to gain knowledge? How am I going to gain experience? Who can coach me along the way? Some of you are sitting in the room and you're down the road. You know what it looks like to walk with Jesus and do it for a long time. It is your responsibility to be doing this for somebody else. A disciple makes disciples. So who is it in your life that you are imparting knowledge to? Who is it in your life that you are helping gain experience? Who is it in your life that you are coaching along the way? And if the answer is no one, where should you start? God, thank you for what you've done for us. That you have not left us alone, you have not left us by ourselves, but God, you have sent your son, Jesus, to live and to walk on this earth, to die on the cross for our sins, that we might have a relationship with you. Lord, for those of us that want to know you more, God, I pray that today would be a day that we make a decision to follow you. I pray that today would be the day that we are able to put into place how it is we're going to gain knowledge and experience and walk with others. And God, for those of us who need to be a part of this process, show us the people you've put around us that we can walk with. Our desire is that we would see many in the end worshiping around your throne. Help us to walk this process well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.